so excited you decided to take the time to listen to Creatives Talk. My name is Eric Humphrey, and on this podcast, I get the chance to speak with some of the most interesting, inspiring people I've worked with and been mentored by. I hope you enjoy. I'm really excited to be here today with Kendrick for Creatives Talk. I met Kendrick probably four years ago on the set of a, a BET campaign shoot where they were rebranding to We Got You. And from the moment I met him, like he had a very electric personality <laughs> and he was just like very open and very giving and we connected. And so over the last four years, I've been fortunate enough to work with him and his team and to build a really great relationship where it feels like family, where I probably should have like a little cubicle around here somewhere. Yes, you should, because you come here. Because <laughs> I come here now. But I am so thankful to have him here, and I'm thankful for everything that he has done for me personally in my career and the opportunities that he's given me at a Aww. very young start. So, now about Kendrick. Kendrick is the Senior Vice President of Marketing for BET's Creative Service Division. Okay, let me get the title right, because I made it up myself. <laughs> <laughs> and when I took this job, they were like, okay, well, what do you want to be called? I was like, well, the position never existed before, so I wanted to make up something cool. So it's the SVP Executive Creative Director Brand Strategy for BET Networks. And what does all that mean? <laughs> well, one was I, I, I'm an SVP, which is amazing that I have this opportunity. Um, Executive Creative Director means I oversee all the creative um that's produced by the marketing team. Um, uh, brand strategy is because, to your point, when I first came on also, it was at a point where BET was trying to redefine and refocus its brand, and they had done some initial brand strategy work, and they kind of need somebody to come in on the creative side, the marketing and creative side, to actually sort of bring it to life and to activate it throughout uh, the creative we were producing for all the marketing. And so, that's why it's SVP, Executive Creative Director, Brand Strategy for BET Networks. Nice. So a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But before you, <laughs> you became... You my card. It's like, <laughs> is, that's all on yeah, your business all, card? It's, it's just that, that. That's it. You know, the phone number, I think there's enough room for that. That's about it. So. Wow. Well, before you became the SVP, mm-hmm. where did this all start? Like, how did your career start? Wow. Okay. So it's a very interesting tale. Um... And I would just say that the through line, as you hear the story, is pretty much the idea of not knowing what I wanted to do, but when an opportunity presented itself, I just took it. So I went to school to study biomedical engineering at Boston University. Oh, wow. (laughs) I know not many people know that, because there's nothing about me that's biomedical engineering. I would never guess that. But um, both my brothers were in engineering. They both went to MIT, and they're both eggheads, and they literally skated through MIT like it was community college. They're that smart. Um, And so I thought that I wanted to be an engineer like them. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, there was this TV show, The Six Million Dollar Man, and I was like, yo, that's what I want to do. I want to, like, make a bionic man and, like, you know, um, do all those special effects and be able to, like, jump high and all of this stuff. So I was like, oh, it's bionics. It's biology. It's, it's engineering, so it was this major that was a combination of the two. 
So I went to the um, BU and Boston University and I studied biomedical engineering and I hated it. I was flunking out like crazy. I was suffering. I was barely passing. The only thing I liked was calculus. I was falling asleep on my chemistry exams. I was sitting in physics. I had no idea what the man was talking about. I was like, this is not going to work. <clears throat> and so I was calling up my mom and dad every night, like crying, like, I'm not passing. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. Da 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 da. And they were like, do what makes you happy. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I'd rather be in like TV production. But everyone who graduates from the TV production department don't have jobs. And uh -huh. all my engineering friends were like, dude, you can't go over there. Because if you go over there, you ain't going to have to have a job. If you graduate from engineering, at least you'll have a great job. You'll make money. And my parents were like, no, that's not the way you think about it. Do what makes you happy. And then you'll become good at it. And the money will come and the jobs will come and I just didn't believe them so this went on for two years of me just crying every day every week just like just not gonna work and so finally in my junior year um, I decided to change my major no but wait let me tell you the story about how I decided to change my major so freshman year I had to take an elective class and I took an elective class in television production the class was supposed to be for seniors only and when I went to class the first day, and I was a freshman, I went to class the first day, and the professor was like, okay, this class is for seniors only, so all you sophomores and juniors, you have to leave. He didn't say anything about freshmen. <laughs> so I kept going. It was, a, it was a nighttime class, and I would dress up every night and put on a little suit. I had this little plastic briefcase that I would like try to pretend like I was a, a, a upperclassman. And I ended up getting the highest grade in the class. And wow. then, like, at the end of the class, I told my professor, I was like, by the way, I'm only a freshman and I'm an engineering major. And he just looked at me, he's like, you'll be back. <clears throat> now I fast forward two years to junior year, and I finally decided to change to TV production. And um, I realized that at that point, that that TV show that I really liked, it was about the TV show and not necessarily bionics and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, note to self. Um, so I transferred over to broadcasting and film, and that's what I got my degree in from Boston University. And then oddly enough, in my senior year, I had to take another elective, and the class was in advertising. And the two guys who taught the class had their own agency, and they were like, oh my God, you're amazing. We want you to come to our ad agency and work. And I was like, dude, I just finished transferring from engineering to TV production. Now you want me to work in advertising? I was like, no, at least I need to get a job in the area that I studied. Yeah. So they're like, well, at least come do an internship. So I did an internship with them um, in my senior year. At the same time, I was applying for other jobs. And um, I got a job at CNN um, in Atlanta. Um, and so I, the option was either to go work the ad agency or to go work in what I studied, TV production in Atlanta. And I was like, I'm done with Boston. It's whack. Let me at least go to Atlanta and try something new. So I went down to Atlanta and I was working for CNN. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity because you literally do everything. You do camera work, editing, audio. Um, you can dabble in graphic design. So I basically did everything different every night. It was really cool. And I got a lot of great exposure. And um, but then I got bored. I hated Atlanta so much. Like, it was so corny down there. Just, every time I would go out, people would look at me, and they would look at my clothes, and they'd just be like, dude, you ain't from around here. I'm like, no. So after two, two and a half years, I took a leave of absence, and I came back to New York to act. I was trying to do theater. And also to um, try to make a movie with some friends that I, that I met in school. <clears throat> Of course, we had no money. We did everything you could do with no money. So we wrote the film. We did location scout. We did auditions. Everything you could do for free. Yeah. And then you know, 
we did production schedule and then of course we didn't have the money so we didn't do the film but I took you know six months off and I was doing some acting here in New York as well as um, you know trying to make this movie and then you know ran out of money so I had to go back to Atlanta uh, went back was doing some theater down there um, were you back at I was CNN? back at CNN yeah and I worked for three months and I was just like I can't I can't I gotta get out <laughs> so I left I packed up my car and I drove back to New York um, oddly enough while I was here during the six months I um, interviewed for News 12 Long Island and just before I was about to leave they called me up and they were like can you come in we want you to come work for us so I, I you know obviously the universe was speaking and I was just like okay so um, I drove straight to the news station from Atlanta, wow. straight to Long Island. I still had all my luggage in the car, everything, and I was just like, I'm here. Um, so I started working News 12 Long Island. Um, of course, my ambition was to be an actor, and I had a friend of mine who was working at the Kaufman Studios. Um, at the time, Cosby Show was still on the air, and she worked for the Cosby Show. So I went in, turned in my headshot, because I looked like Theo at the time. Like, I was the dead set ringer for Theo's, like, long-lost cousin. Oh, wow. So I thought I could try to get on the show. Of course, I didn't. but. While I was there, Lifetime Television was, was in the same facility. And I was like, well, let me just fill out an application for Lifetime. Went in, fill out the application. At the same time, I was dropping my headshot. Three days later, Lifetime called me up and they're like, oh man, we need somebody with this experience. They do live TV, studio work, they do videotape, editing, everything. We want you to come in. So I was like, okay. So I went into Lifetime Television, got the job. Um, it was an amazing opportunity again, because I was working on multiple shows at Lifetime. Um, and I was working in the post-production editing um, facility, editing area. But in my off days, I would play around with the graphic equipment, just for the heck of it, because I was bored, I'd play around the graphic equipment. And just design logos, because I knew how to edit, I put together a sizzle reel. And my boss, who was head of post-production, was like, you should be a graphic designer. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, well, they're the people who do all the graphics for promos. And I was like, okay. So she was like, here, here's a Mac, here's your equipment, go be a designer. So completely self-taught. Um, I taught myself to be a graphic designer, um, learned motion graphics, and at the time, Lifetime didn't have a design department, so they basically allowed me to build a design department and bring in other designers. We moved our facility from Queens to here in Manhattan, and they, helped, they asked me to help design the graphic studio. I had oh, no wow. experience, but they saw something in me. My boss saw something in me. They rebranded the network, and they were like, Kendrick, you should help and work with a design company to help brand the network. And that was my exposure to like network branding and what that means and, and, and how to create a unique voice for a channel. And then plus my hands-on work. As I became better at what I was doing, more responsibility came in. They literally, I had other designers reporting into me. I got promoted to art director. The, the challenge I had was going from a hands-on designer to now being a manager and a supervisor and an art director. So I would, because I was so passionate about design, I would do the art direction during the day, work with my designers and supervise them, and at night, I still wanted to be a hands-on designer. So I would literally work until like five, six in the morning. Like sometimes I would just have enough time to leave the office, go home, shower, and come back. Because oh, wow. I didn't want to let go of the hands-on designing. And time would just pass because I was so into what I was doing. How old were you at this time? I was in my late 20s. Okay. Yeah, late 20s. And so what would happen is I would do this over and over constantly to the point where I got burnt out. And I remember the day it happened. It was 4th of July weekend. 
I was working because I still wanted to do the hands-on design and I was sitting in front of the computer and I literally had nothing else left. I had no creativity, I had no ideas, I had nothing. And I just broke down and I started crying and I was like, this is what, I realize now this is what burnout is. This is when you completely run yourself ragged and don't feed your creativity and you don't take care of it and you don't nurture it and you don't refill your battery and you just burn out. And how long did that last? Like, how long had you gone doing the almost 24 hour days? It was probably at least a year of that heavy working. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be every single day, but it was at least a year of not being able to give up the hands on. And so I basically quit. I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And so I went freelance. Before I did that, I took a year and a half off. So you left the job I, I and took like, a year I and a half I was like off. 29 years old. I was like, I'm retiring. And they were like, what do you mean you retire? I was like, I can't do this anymore. But because I'd worked so hard and I was really good at, always good at managing money and I had a job since I was 12, I was able to take a year and a half off. I had my little studio in the village and I was just like, bye. And so I just traveled. I traveled. I went all over Europe. I was in Israel. I was in just everywhere, Australia. And I would come back and maybe do a job here and a job there, but then I'd be done again. I remember like being in Barcelona and I would like do Barcelona by night and I would hit all the clubs until the morning. And then on the way back, I would stop at the internet cafe and I would like do a little freelance work and then go to sleep, wake up and do clubbing again. So I was like, I can do this. Like, this is cool. (laughs) So you played Um, for a year and a half. So I played for a year and a half. Then my boss, who was my boss at uh, Lifetime, he went over to Comedy Central, and he was like, "I need you to come in and like help me, you know, assess what the network needs." And first he said, "I want you, I want to give you a job," and I'm just like, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm digging this like freelance <laughs> life. I'm not trying to settle down." And he was like, "Come on, just come in and just like assess," and I was like, "Okay, fine." So I think I was it. Where was I? It'll be relevant later. Anyway, so I um, came in, did the assessment for two weeks, interviewed everybody, da 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 did a whole report, because at the time they didn't have an official graphic department, or at least it wasn't organized and the workflow wasn't right. And just based on what I created at Lifetime, I felt like this is what it should be here. And I wrote a report. I remember doing it. I took the Comedy Central logo on the cover, and I put a Band-Aid on it. I went to the drugstore, got a Band-Aid, put it on it. I was like, <laughs> here's your report. I got to catch a plane to Tahiti. Oh, <laughs> I'm wow. out. And he was like, he was like, um, now that you did this report, like, why don't you stay here and implement it? I was like, okay, you're doing the bamboo. You're trying to bamboozle me. And I was like, nah, not really. He's like, look, come on, two years. I was like, nope. He's like, how about a year? I said, nope. He said, how about nine months? I was like, nope. I said, how about six months? He said, okay. So I came on for six months, and I helped consult. Six months became a year, became two years, became three years as a consultant. And finally, they said, look, there was a VP position here open, and like you really need to be, you know, staff at this point, and or else we're gonna close this position. And yeah. Like, eh, okay, I'll take it. So um, why were you so resistant to coming on? There was a mental thing that I had in my head that once you become staff, you're no longer free. And to me, I equated freedom with creativity, and I could not be as creative if I didn't feel free. 
And it was all psychologically, cause, psychological, because I was busting my ass and working every day, you know, late night, weekends, and everything. But there was something in my head that said, I know I could do this for three months and then leave for a month, or then leave for three weeks. And then, and I was able to do that when I was freelancing. I used to take the summers off. Like, people were just like, dude, what kind of job do you have? <laughs> and so I eventually took a staff job, VP job, which was amazing. And then Comedy Central was clearly and honestly the most amazing experience work-wise because we rebranded the network at the time. This was 94. This is when Dave Chappelle was coming to the network. And they were looking for a way to make Comedy Central more relevant. It just needed a whole new rebrand. And I had the ear of the general manager. And it was so awesome to be able to sit down. His name was Bill Hillary at the time and to show him what I thought the voice and the vision of the network was based on the research. Like, this is Comedy Central. It was this, they had something called push comedy. It was provocative, unpretentious, unpretentious, surprising, and honest. That's the style of comedy it was. And so what does that look like visually? How does that sound? What does that feel like? What is that, how, how does it animate? And so I came up with this idea that street art was a visual metaphor for what the network needed to be. And so I presented this idea that, you know, everything should have this sort of DIY, um, street art, hands-on feel, because that's like comedy. It's like, it's, it's spontaneous. It's always touched by humans, coming from human beings. So therefore the look and feel and movement of the network should be that editorial. So they gave me permission to work with the design company and come up with a new brand for the network. And I did something, it was unheard of, first of all, for a network to take on a whole street art look, number one. And then number two, I couldn't find a company who can actually do it. So I went to a couple of individual people yep. and kind of <clears throat> cobbled together this dream team. And so it was um, Michael Human, who at the time was a freelancer and I knew he had the sense of, you know, the right sentiment. And so he, because I hired him for this, he created a company called Interspectacular. And then another friend of mine, Victor Newman, who at the time had a company called Freestyle Collective, and I knew he got it, and I had him help me with the launch of Dave Chappelle, because they were happening at the same time. I needed to brand the network and launch the Dave Chappelle show. And so together, like the two groups, it was just like lightning in a bottle. And um, you know, between Interspectacular, and actually I had a third company, Eyeball, because another friend of mine who's a house DJ who has amazing design sense, Julian Bevan. And so literally it was between Victor, Julian, and his company, and Interspectacular with Michael Union, Newman that we created this whole look and feel for Comedy Central. To the point where, like, you know, years later, the kids who were coming out of SBA design school studied Comedy Central as part of the motion graphic design oh, wow. department, like how it moves and what, you know, that the animation style. So it was it was pretty groundbreaking. But what the coolest part was that I started speaking at international conferences about network branding. And the work that we were doing at Comedy Central was so amazing that I was getting requested to speak at these different network branding promotional events. So I was literally traveling around the world. I went to China, India, Australia, I was in uh, in Greece, South Africa, all these places speaking about the work that we had done at Comedy Central and the look and feel. So now I'm just like, okay, 
This is like a good thing. Like you went from partying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. traveling oh, around yeah, the world, yeah, yeah. to now you're to now, creating yes, and yes. getting to travel to talk yes, about it. Yes, yes. And then <laughs> after seven years of Comedy Central, I kind of I started getting burnt out again. I seem to have this like seven year itch thing. But were you working like, as hard? I was working as hard. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, because now I was staff, I was VP, and it was it was a lot of responsibility. And so seven years, I started feeling that itch again. And then I told my boss, the same boss who used to let me freelance when I first got there. Um, and he knew me from Lifetime, and so he knew me when I left and I got burnt out there. I then said, hey, I need to take some time off. Like, I want to take a four-month leave of absence, which is unheard of uh-huh. for a VP to do that. But he let me do it. And um, he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Europe. I'm just going to go hang out. And he's like, well, why are you over there? We're about to launch Comedy Central International in uh-huh. Germany. Why don't you go stop by the office and just like, you know, say hi, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. So went, I was tromping around Europe, hanging out in Italy most of the time. And then I stopped by the office in Germany and met the people. And they were like, you know, we really could use your help in just launching this. You know about the brand in the U.S., so like, you know, we could use your advice. And I was like, fine, no problem. You know, I talked to them about the brand and all this other kind of stuff. Went back to New York, and basically, just a long short of long story short, basically, you know, Viacom was going through some changes at the time, and um, they were like, "Well, you know, you've been gone for four months, and we sort of kind of survived without you. And I know you've been like not really feeling, you know, being here full time. So we're sort of kind of going to transition you out." And I was like, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I was like, it's the kick I needed. You know, yeah. I was getting burnt out again, and I just didn't know what to do. And so, again, my boss was amazing, amazing, amazing. And he created the opportunity now where I was working as a consultant, brand consultant for Comedy Central as they launched around Europe. Oh, wow. So now, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I would sort of go to, go to London, which is the home base for International, and I would sort of, you know, find out, we talk about like, what's the next region? And then I would say, go to Italy. And I'd meet with the, ta- the team there. And I said, this is how the brand works in the US. This is the look and feel of it, da 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 da. And kind of work with them to then shape what it will be in Europe. So we did that for Poland, um, New Zealand, I'm sorry, Poland, uh, Germany, Italy. I was going to do Spain, but that, that I fell through beforehand. Yeah, so that was a great opportunity. And I was literally going back and forth. So I would go the first time, meet with the team, come back, go to strategize on, the, on how the network would launch, come back, go after they launch and kind of, you know, look at some of the work that they're doing and kind of see how that fits in. So now I'm a brand consultant. Now I'm like literally international brand consultant for Comedy Central. And I was just like, okay, this is a whole new level to my career. So how different was it or was it difficult at all transitioning from running a brand in the U.S. to now making it work in Europe? It was actually a lot of fun because it's so interesting because, you know, the Italians don't think that the British are funny and the, the Dutch don't think that the Germans are funny and the Germans don't think that the British are funny. So it's like, you kind of like, I was like, okay, right, yeah, okay, you have to get a sense of what their humor is and then, you know, realize that they don't think anybody else is funny. But then try to create some sort of boundaries that tie it back to the brand um, back in the U.S. But the challenging thing was, you know, really trying to figure out with the team what's culturally relevant and what's funny over there compared to what's funny over here, you know, which is kind of fun just to kind of see how the same brand travels, you know, in different different regions and what it could look like. 
they've since unified things now and it's much more stringent in what the network looks like and what the brand voice is, but then it was a little more free. Free, you know? yeah. yeah. What are some of the biggest things you learned from that experience that you're able to apply in your career now? Wow. I guess the, the biggest thing is I've had this ability to put together great teams. And I think the team that I put together uh, at, for the rebranded Comedy Central was just a testament to how I can understand what a brand needs and then match it to the skill set of the people and put together the right team. And that's a unique ability. And it's kind of been my MO that even after I stopped doing the international, I came back and I was still consulting. That was still what I was now getting hired for. So like Fuse Network hired me to help them rebrand the network. So I put together a team to help rebrand that. So to match the strategy of where the network wants to go with creating a visual and an editorial brand that represents that research and that goal has been something that I feel like has been my strong suit. So uh, being able to do that at, at Fuse, um, I worked with Disney XD as a consultant to launch that brand. It was JetX and it became Disney XD. So again, I helped put together the team and consulted on the rebrand of that. And then at one point, and I was working on the rebrand of Bravo as well, and then at one point, I didn't have any work, and I freaked out. And it was just like, okay, this steady stream of work has dried up, I've never been in this situation before, what am I gonna do? And I remember it was December 19th that the project ended and I had nothing planned for after the holidays, and just then, I got this call. This is how the universe always provides. As much as I question whether the universe will provide, it will, BT called. And they were like, okay, there's two projects. One, we're about to launch this new channel, that's a combination of BET Jazz and VH1 Soul, which became Centric. And we also have a new brand strategy that we're trying to bring to life at BET. And so in one opportunity, you have the opportunity to build a brand from scratch. And the other opportunity, you have to change a brand that you know has, touches 90 million people and really has a, vo a major voice in the black community. And so I just thought I would be more influential going over to BET yeah. and um, helping rebrand this 30-year-old network at the time, this 30-year-old brand. And it has been the hardest I've ever worked Really? In my life. So this was harder than oh, when you were doing anyway. the 24-hour days? Absolutely. Because it's a 30-year-old brand and there's so many preconceived notions and there's so many things you have to work against. At the time, you know, BET was not known for the most responsive programming. Like they had stuff like Hell Date and that's the little midget that was yeah, like, yeah, yeah that I remember that. show and what was that cartoon character? What's her name? Cedar's World. Uh -huh. um, um Hot Ghetto Mess. Like they had some really, really, really bad shows that were not showing black people in a positive light. To the point where for one year they were protesting in front of Deborah Lee's house. Not in front of her office here in in, in New York or in DC. They were coming to her house every Saturday for a year. Jeez. So that's what we're fighting against. We're fighting against this horrible reputation that BT had. And so to come in and help put a team together to create a new brand strategy and a new voice for BT was a phenomenal opportunity. And so there was a new head of marketing, there was a new head of programming at the time, and you know, I, she brought the head of marketing brought me in. And so the hardest work was assessing the team that was there. And again, I did something that was unheard of. It took me 11 months to do it. Um, to make the decision. 
But I assessed everyone in the team. There was probably about, at the time, I don't know, 30 people on the team. And in New York office and DC office, so maybe 35 people or so. And I knew that where I needed to go and where we needed to take the brand, I couldn't do with the team that was there. I needed people who were more experienced, who had more exposure to different networks and different brands. So I literally developed a plan to replace the entire team. The entire team. All in one day. It was like no transition, no carryover, no anything. No, I maybe kept like 10 people, but I had to interview and convince about 20 people to all quit their jobs, close their freelance gigs, come join BET with me, and do it all on the same day. <laughs> so how were you able to do that? It was, it was kind of easy only because everyone wants BET to survive and to succeed. And everybody wants better for BET and everybody feels that BET represents something that's so important to the black community. And so here was their opportunity to put their money where their mouth was and if they ever complained about BET or dog BET, now was your chance to be a part of the change. And I think many people were just excited about that opportunity to be able to do that, to be a part of that change. So I literally hired everybody a week before, met in an undisclosed location. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was so exciting. It was so exciting. And then we just literally just, you know, the change happened. And then we started fresh on Monday with a new, completely new team. Wow. And um, everyone was so excited, and it was great energy because everyone was bringing their different experiences from different networks, and then we're trying to figure out new work processes and try to understand the brand and develop the brand and the voice and the look and the feel and the graphics and buying new equipment. Like it was just a crazy time. Um, and so at the same time, we were also going into our first scripted, so that was the game. Okay. We, you know. And so to be part of that history-making thing, when we brought the game over to BET, it was the highest-rated network premiere in history. Scripted, 7.7 million people. Wow. And that was it was historic. So that was again another like triumph and high, you know. And then to be able to put this whole facility together too, we upgraded and created this whole facility on this this floor. So it's been like major triumphs, but and major experience growth and just major opportunities. But it's been it's been hard work. It's been a lot of hard work. So, a lot throughout your career, it seems like you've worked extremely hard. Where did that work ethic come from? Like, is it something you saw your parents do? Is it something that you saw your brothers do? Not my brothers, because like I said, they skated through MIT like it was community college. <laughs> But I think it was just something that was a part of me, just my personality. I mean, granted, yes, my parents were very much instilling hard work and, you know, to be an African-American, you have to be twice as good and work twice as hard and just to be considered equal. Like, that was definitely a mantra in our house. We also had a mantra that we couldn't say can't. You know, you always can do. My dad was very much into whatever you want to do, you can do it. Um, you, you know, yes, you can. Before it was yes, you can. <laughs> you know, my mom was a little more reserved and conservative in terms of you know career choices but dad was like whatever you want to do and so I just naturally wanted to always work hard especially if I loved it and that was the thing you know and I was always so passionate about design and theater and film and 
and and motion pictures and you know graphics and all of that stuff not knowing exactly what it was because I didn't study it but I just was naturally drawn to it and would spend time well when do do you remember when you first became drawn to it and that was like an interest of yours well okay so my dad was always into photography as a kid and cinematography and he actually gave me a 16 millimeter Bolex camera when I was 12 um, which was his camera that he got from the uh, Cuba when he was in the um, Korean War I guess uh, yeah Korean War so that began my love for film and motion picture and again it's like weird because I didn't put all this stuff together when I was making my college choice so here I am you know 12 year old kid I've got no one else had this I had a 16 millimeter Bolex camera I was always creating stuff in my basement I would just like make inventions and build things and and just play and just spend hours you know um, like I would take my Schwinn bicycle and paint it and design it funky colors and put masking tape on it and then take the tape off and now you got funky colors like I would always do this stuff but I didn't realize that what I was interested in sketching doodling logos all of this stuff is all part of my um, childhood so then when you get to college and you know you're thinking that you need to go into engineering but realize you have all this creative potential and then you know and even the fashion like I used to do this thing with my mom where I would come down to go to school every morning and if my mother didn't scream <laughs> then I knew that I wasn't pushing the boundary <laughs> and if she didn't scream I would go back upstairs change my outfit come back down and she would say something I was like okay now I'm good now wow. I know I can leave the house now so she was like my first focus group for sure, you know. So there was always this need to express and be creative. And, and your so, parents were very supportive very of you supportive being cre creative yeah. Yeah. and expressing yourself. Nice. Yeah. Talk about how you're good at assessing and putting together teams. Mm -hmm. But when you first were putting together your first team, you would work through the night because you didn't want to let go mm -hmm. of that work. Like, when did you get to the point where you're like, I got to let go of doing the day to day mm -hmm. in the graphic design and trust my team? Mm -hmm. I think I learned early on, I think again, I think about, you know, the stuff that my dad taught me that, you know, it's kind of, it hits you subconsciously and doesn't come out until later. Um, in order to be great and successful, you have to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and who are better than you, who are more talented than you. A lot of people can't do that because they have egos. And, you know, I know it's all about a team and, you know, you're only as good as a team that's, that's around you. And so I knew that early on. And it's like, you know, I want all of us to look good. And if all of us look good, I'm gonna look good, you know? And I knew that the reason why I had such successful relationships with my bosses is because I knew I was there to make them look good. Yeah. And my boss at Lifetime and then Comedy Central, um, he knew what I needed and I knew what he needed. And I just needed him just to clear the path away from me and to let me create and be expressive and have creative freedom he knew that I understood what the boundaries were um, but my job was to do my best to make him look good and so I needed to surround myself in order to be successful with people who would basically you know do their best to make me look good um, and it, it makes sense it's like that's what I don't need to fight with my boss I don't need to you know what I mean like my job is to make them look good that's why they brought me in um, and subsequently, you know, it makes everyone look good. 
that was the thing. Like, it's just like, I know that I'm not a great animator, so the first person I hired at Lifetime was someone who was a great animator. Um, when I came to this job um, and had to do that whole restructuring, you know, I brought in somebody who was an amazing storyteller, because I know my weakness is, writing is not my strongest suit. Um, so the first hire was someone who was a brilliant editorial and writer, and then was a brilliant person who can tell stories and direct and, and run a creative team. And then somebody who was excellent at workflow, structure, processes, with a technical background. So it was like a perfect, you know, the four of us were perfect together. Um, and then we just started building the team around. And then there's always a mantra here, at least for me, to always create a pipeline for the younger, more talented um, folks and to expose them to stuff and, and you know, uh, give them opportunities. Because I constantly got opportunities. People would see stuff in me that I had no idea was there and they would give me the opportunity and I would succeed. And then I'd, you know, get bored and then another opportunity would come up and then I would go for it and do well. And then, you know, so I wanted to create the same thing here for other people. Were there ever times where you were given opportunities and you were intimidated by the size of always, the opportunity? Always. Like, to come here as an SVP, like, that's... When I was at Comedy Central, I was a VP, but I only had, like, I don't know, six, seven, okay, maybe ten, including some of the assistants in the department, and now there's, like, 50-something people here. So that's huge. And yeah. at the time, it, again, at Comedy, I was just overseeing um, design, and here it's design and editorial, there's writing and producing, it's the engineering team, it's the post-production, it's the scheduling team, like it's everything. And so I was really, really, really intimidated. But I had some really great advisors and former bosses who were just like, no, this is what you need to do. So um, what advice did they give you? Uh, <laughs> they basically were like, you got this, you could do this. You know, it's like, yes, it was the job that I had, meaning them, you know, but they're like, you can do my job, you can do this. You know, they, they talk a lot about relying on your intuition and your gut. They both always told me that I had an amazing ability to be left brain and right brain, so to think creatively, but to also think strategically and kind of bring those together, and it was a great balance. And really to rely on my instinct. And so, you know, and I've also felt as though I owed it to black people, like they needed something better. Um, and while I can't necessarily control the programming here, I know I can control the editorial message and I can control the look and feel and the design and <clears throat> how we go to market with uh, the stuff that we create. To that point, if you have control of how you guys go to market, mm -hmm. but then when you have challenges with the program and you don't always agree with it, mm -hmm. like how do you put your heart and soul into something that you don't agree with? Yeah, fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> you fake it and hope that you make it. I mean, you know, it's just part of reality. It's life. You can't always um, do what you want to do. And, you know, you know your goal is to make it look as good as it can. And, you know... I love, it's actually a challenging, a challenge to me when, you know, you see a show and it's like, mm, <laughs> that's not going to do well. But you create enough buzz around it to at least get people to the front door. Like, if you get them to the front door, yeah. if they don't want to come in, if they don't want to stick around, like, I'm not going to say it's not my problem, but it kind of <laughs> sort of like, I did my job. Um, but, 
you know, because then what ends up happening, if it doesn't do well, then we have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out what we can do to either get them back or to, you know, get other people to sample it. So it still is, you know, my problem. But yeah, it's it's a challenge, you know. It's just like, how are we going to make this look good, y'all? Come on, like, how? what are we going to do? You know, we find that thing that, you know, we can amplify about the show and then find that thing that we think our audience is going to appeal to and just try to put those two things together and hope that there'll still be a spark and they'll, you know, create interest. Um, but this industry has changed so quickly over the years from the time I started with, you know, social media now becoming so much of a major driving force into how you promote stuff. And, um, you know, it's a challenge to keep up. And it's also disheartening is that you could be sitting there watching a premiere of a show and, like, our social media is off the charts. Like, they're just crazy. It's trending. It's top trending. Like, it's doing so well. People talking about it, good and bad, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, my God, it trended all night. Yeah. The ratings got to be good. You get back the next day and the ratings suck. And you're just like, oh, man, like, but it trended. So there's no correlation between, you know, social media so buzz and ratings, you know. Um, and then the way we're watching television has completely changed. Like, no one is tuning in at 8 o'clock to watch something. Like, most of our target audience are either cord cutters, they're like, done, or they're cord nevers. They will never have cable. They're yeah. never going to pay $100 and something dollars a, a month. So, you know, we're promoting to an audience that, you know, isn't plugged in in that respect. And so the whole dynamic of television is changing, which derives so many networks are struggling right now. So then, with that being said, like, what do you see for the future, and how are you planning I don't for know, that? Eric, I don't know. <laughs> if I knew the answer to that question, I'd be all over it. I think that's the that's the big question that so many of us in this industry have. Like, we have a conference called Promax, Promotional Marketing Excellence, every year. And if I tell you that the last four years, the theme has basically been like, what's next? Like, you know. Now what? You know, they just try to come up with different ways to rephrase the same question <laughs> as a theme. Um, I think last year it was the same as what's next again. Um, I think that's a big question. Like, it's it's like the music industry. It's like, you know, um, <clears throat> these old models. Like, if they don't change and evolve, like eventually they're gonna they're gonna die. Like something. It's just the, any 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 with any brand. If you don't evolve, it'll you'll die. Yeah. And so, you know, you have these models and the way television is, unfortunately, we're still being measured by Nielsen. And if that's the way networks measure, um, that's how they make money is based on what Nielsen says. And so if that doesn't change, if our measurement is still 60 years old or whatever, like, we'll never change. We'll never get out of this rut, you know? So... It's like the model has to change or different revenue streams have to change, something. So you look at the disruptors like Netflix and Hulu and some of these over-the-top providers and you know you, that sort of looks like the way the future is going to be. And so, I don't know, do you go to that or do you hope that our networks will evolve into something like that? Or, um, you know, the one thing that's always certain content is content and great content will always win. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to be somehow involved with content creation and promotion and marketing. It's just what it will look like, I have no idea. And believe me, I think about it er day. <laughs> All day, er day. But I have to stay true to how I got to where I am, and that's always been the universe will figure something out. 
and an opportunity will present itself and I will take it and do well. That's what I'm hoping. And it's got me this far. <laughs> I hope it will continue. The problem is that, you know, when you get a little older and, you know, the opportunities don't come as often and, you know, it just becomes a different challenge just, you know, as you as you mature in this industry. So So what have been so you said you worked on the launch of the Dave Chappelle show and the mm-hmm. rebranding at Comedy Central mm-hmm. and then rebranding here at B T. What would you say have been some of the projects that you worked on that you're the proudest of? Wow. <clears throat> so I would say most proud would be the rebranding at BET. Um, no, 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 no. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, the thing about Comedy Central was that it just catapulted me into a whole different stratosphere in terms of network branding and what that means and and the whole international aspect of it was just phenomenal to create a brand that just connected and resonated with so many people. I think emotionally though, the branding work we did here, because I'm most connected and most passionate about our audience here, I didn't feel as connected with our audience at Comedy Central. I felt like I enjoyed the brand and, you know, what we did from a design perspective, but I wasn't passionate about the audience. Whereas BET, I'm definitely, I'm definitely passionate. I am them. So um, very passionate about the audience. So when you talk about pride, the pride of taking something that we own and feel connected to, i.e. a network, to be able to you know, change the way people think about it is definitely the most proud moment. So when we first launched the brand strategy, we launched it upfront, which is like the big convention where all the uh, advertisers come and hear what each network is doing. Um, That's when we kind of laid out this new roadmap for what BET is, and each year we kind of elevate it and evolve it, and upfront is a time where you really get a chance to tell people what the brand is about. And so those are usually my proud moments because I'm much more involved hands-on creatively, whereas, you know, when we launch a show, I'm involved, but I have creative directors, and I have a VP creative, and I have writer producers, and I have you know a lot yeah. more people. So um, it's a different feeling. It's more of a personal satisfaction when we do upfront because then I'm really able to get my hands dirty. Nice. Being at a big network and a big company, BT's owned by Viacom. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are a lot of parameters and rules and things. And you're a very creative, expressive person. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage an environment? that has rules and restrictions when you're so expressive and creative? I don't know how to articulate this, but I, I remember when um, I first came to Comedy Central and um, one of the writer-producers who's now creative director here because I brought him here, I remember when he said to me, he said, dude, I remember when you first showed up at Comedy Central, it was like, yo, who was that? You were dressed in like all white and this billowing fabric and they were like, <laughs> Yo, you were like Moses just coming in, just gliding. It's like, who was this brother gliding across the floor? Because at the time, Comedy Central had no black people there, um, except for this one, this one guy. And and he he, you know, would always ask me that, and I would always say, you know, I've always been myself. And even as I meet other young brothers at like the um, and sisters at the conference, because it's so few of us when we go to these conferences. Um, they're like, how do you do it? Like, how do you stay true to yourself and make it? And I said, there's a certain level of confidence that people perceive when you are true to yourself and when you are yourself. 
And so I've always been, you know, like I said, from back then when I would go to school in the morning, just, you know, confident about what I put on. And I think that projects a level of confidence. And I think other people see that and are attracted to it. And I think it kind of feeds off itself in this creative industry that if people perceive you as, it's a brand, it's your brand. So if people perceive a brand as being something that's confident and creative and organic and natural and authentic, that's the word I'm looking for, authentic, opportunities will create itself, people will be attracted to it, and you will sort of evolve and elevate in that environment. So I think I feed that just by just staying true. Um, and I think if I was inauthentic, it just, it wouldn't work. None of this would work. And how did that, like it takes a lot of people so much time to figure out who they really are mm -hmm. and to be true to themselves. Like, but Don't get me wrong, I got issues. <laughs> I just leave those issues at home and I just bring the issues that I need, bring in what I need to work with to succeed at work. <laughs> I want. I don't want to paint this picture that I'm just like you know. You're like this perfect person. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. This is it's you know. You, like I said, you know your brand. Uh huh. You know, you know what the downsides of your brand are. You know what the positives of your brand are, and you know. But still, just being true to yourself, like figuring out who you are. Mm -hmm. I know for me, it took yeah, like it was late into my. It was probably like last year where I really mm -hmm. like I'm getting a good understanding of who I am and what I'm about, but. It seems like you, the stories you've been telling, you've known who you were since you were in high school when you were getting dressed mm -hmm. and they express yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you get to that point? Like, where did that come from? I, again, I, I feel like coming from a very positive and supportive home and parents um, and sisters and brothers who also were very positive and supportive, you create, it created a really solid foundation that it was okay whichever way you went. And so there wasn't as much doubt and insecurity around expressing myself. And when I started to realize that that was a good thing, that people wanted my opinion and, you know, and they wanted me to be a part of their team or to help them succeed, I was like, okay, it's okay to be me, and I bring something to the table, and I may not know everything, but I can put a great team together. And so I just felt like the things that I, that I did well got, I don't wanna say paid off, but they got rewarded. And so I was like, that just kind of built the confidence and helped me to just continue along that path. But I think the in ingredients were sort of always there and they just kind of naturally came together and you know I just kind of expressed what I what I already felt. Wow. And then throughout your career like a lot that we talked about has been you know great experiences. Have you had challenges that have come up in your career where things didn't work out the way you planned or the way you wanted and then if they did like give me an example on how did it, uh, how did you get through that? Yeah there's one network rebrand that just did not, it just did not go well. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about well, it. Well, you don't have to tell me what network it was. You don't have to mention the network, but what what went wrong with it, and then what did you learn from that? Right. Um, I think what went wrong was not really pressing to get a clear understanding of 
of what they wanted or where they wanted to go. And I think uh, so much of research plays a huge part into um, any kind of rebrand because that really gives you the insight into who the audience is. And I feel like that piece was missing. And so we just kept trying to push for this one direction and we just kept digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper hole that we couldn't even pay off. Like we were creating elements that no one else can replicate at a network and it was just, it just got worse and worse and worse. So eventually they pulled the project. I mean, I was collaborating with another company as a consultant um, and they pulled the project. And that was the first time that ever happened to me that a, you know, a major project got, or any project got pulled away. And so I didn't feel too bad just because it wasn't just me. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I wasn't the only one that didn't get it. So I didn't feel too bad. But um, I think that was the biggest blow career wise. Um, so what did you learn? That the people was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I get together with the other company and we talk about how their people were crazy. But I, I, the other thing was, I learned, I was able to utilize skills that I hadn't learned before. Like the whole strategy, like I was literally writing strategy, which I hadn't done before. And so even though the outcome wasn't great, um, the strategy that I created <clears throat> was still implemented in a way because they basically went on to find another um, design company to, to execute it but I can still see the influence of my strategy so it still gave me confidence in something I tried something new which was actually writing of the strategy um, and even though the outcome wasn't as successful um, I still learned about you know strategically putting things on paper and you know what that how that could evolve into a different execution with the same thinking you talk a lot about how you you'll get opportunity and try something new. Mm -hmm. Like, what steps do you take to prepare for that something new, or do you just learn by fire? I think it's interesting because, again, I talk about you know as I get older, things things change, and I would think for most people, as you get older, taking that step becomes easier. But for me, it's the opposite. When I was younger and these opportunities would come up, it just felt so natural to me to step into design because I was doing it. I was staying up, I was sitting there bored in the edit room and I was designing stuff. So when someone says, you should be a designer, I was like, okay. And then when the work became too much, I needed help and they're like, you should be an art director and need to have a team. I was like, okay. It just felt, nat everything felt natural. But now as I get older and I have more financial responsibilities and family obligations, it becomes a much more challenging thing for me to just step into something. And so now I'm literally at a point in my life right now where I'm like, okay, what's next? And I do feel much more hesitant and in some ways fearful about stepping out into something new. And it was not like that for you know a majority of my life. It was more of just a natural next step and expression. Um, and I never felt the level of trepidation that I do now in terms of where it's, where's next. Yeah. It's just much more at risk and it doesn't feel like I can bounce back as quickly now. You know, that's what it was. Everything before just felt natural to me. And now I literally have to step out of my comfort zone, which is 
a hard thing for me to do. Whereas I was comfortable growing in those other areas because it was natural to me. But now it's stepping out of the comfort zone. At least from what I know and what you've told me today, it's like it seems like you've always been willing to step outside of your comfort zone. Even like taking this role of BET, uh-huh. you had never been an SVP, you had never run a team of 50 plus people, mm-hmm. and you stepped into that role and you've done a great job at it. So I don't, like you say that you're, you're at a point where you're afraid to step outside of your comfort zone, but your actions don't align with that. Okay, so now you're trying to get to my therapist. <laughs> Uh, do you charge for this? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds odd, but I just that is just where I am right now, and it's it's um, you know, I, I gotta figure that out. Like, I, I, and I'm sure everything will be fine. It has always been fine. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I think I'm in my head a lot more now, and uh, and it's interesting. It's it's not. That's why I said it feels like it would be the other way around at this point. Because now you've got years of experience, and now you this and you that, and you you've done it already. But yeah, so it's interesting. So what do you want to be next for you? If you could write your script. One side would be sitting on a beach in Brazil selling coconuts. <laughs> that would just coconut coconut water. That would be like my thing, like ideal. Okay. Like I'd be in Bahia and that would be it, done. But then how would you creatively express yourself? The way I chop the coconut <laughs> off. <laughs> I'll make little designs in it, little, you know origami coconut I don't know something I'll figure it out okay <laughs> but now when you get to creatively express yourself 90 million people see it yes okay wait I didn't finish answering your question so that was that was that's the one thing that you know you get pulled to I think the other side I'd like to try my hand in is creating long form stories like short films feature films shows like I've never done content creation on that level like everything in in our world is 30 second promo 60 second promo 15 second promo yeah um to tell a story in five minutes 10 minutes you know 30 minutes an hour hour you know 90 minutes like what is that like you came close once to what when you were in when you got with your buddies from college oh right yeah it came close <laughs> that film actually the script sucked I was just more interested in the idea and the experience of making a film dude it was called Suburban Paranoia and it was such like stupid humor like one of the main characters his name was Anal Vapor which is like anal vapor like that was the joke like it was like haha like I can't anyway it was the experience of actually going through the process of making a film that, yeah. you know versus the college humor that it was but yeah that would probably be my next thing I'd like to try I don't know you know where that is whether that's here or on on my on my own on the side I don't know yeah nice well I just have one more question but before I ask it I just want to thank you for your time I want to thank you for believing in me and always being like an inspiration to me because you take good pictures dude (laughs) I don't know but to be honest like you know, this network and you have given me opportunities early on in my career where I've been able to work with people that I probably would have never had the opportunity to work with. And I've been able to learn from you all and build super strong relationships with everyone. And it's like a family to yeah. me. Like, I, I don't know. I know for a fact that I wouldn't be as the pseudo successful that mm-hmm. I am without you all. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm very happy that 
I'm able to work for a network shooting people that look like me right. and shooting people that I used to like I would watch them like growing up mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. oh my, and now I get to work with them right. like it's the craziest experience every time wow so wow. I'm so thankful for that and I'm so thankful to be able to learn from you to talk to you to be able to call you up I mean like you have 50 60 people that you're responsible for right. and for you to take my call is incredible no I, that's the, dude you're you're amazing talent and I've like I said I've always been a proponent of giving people opportunities you know that they wouldn't get anywhere else like it's so important we gotta support each other yeah and so if the same way people saw a spark in me and gave me an opportunity or potential in me and gave me opportunity it was it was a no-brainer like your stuff was amazing and it was just like dude you need to be doing this and so you know I appreciate it so my last question is like what continues to inspire you oh Black people, we are so resilient and so creative and so beautiful and so um, just inspiring. What we can do in in difficult times and in good times, um, they're always inspiring. Like anytime I get together with, whether it be my friends or the BT function or an award show we're doing, there's this level of comfort and familiarity and and family and love and respect and to be able to sit in a room with you know an auditorium if we're doing the BT Awards and a certain song comes on you know some performance on stage and we all collectively have the same feeling simultaneously and can all get up and start dancing and just look at each other and be like, yo, I remember that. I mean, there was such a shared connectivity that is just always so inspiring. Um, and it's never ending. Like, just by nature, we are designed to reinvent black people. Like, just give us a situation and something creative will come out of it. And so it's, it's endless. And then to me, for me to be around that every day or for me to be, you know, a part of that culture for me to see it it's just phenomenal and it's all over the world that's the other thing like you go to Brazil and we are the same there you go to Fiji we are the same there you know you go to you know South Africa like we are the same and it's a connection and so it's very very inspiring so whether it be our music our dance our our fashion our hair um, our skin our bodies our athleticism like we're just dope so that's always <laughs> inspiring your photography like I have to show you my father's stuff one day yeah I would love you, to see it I gotta show you that stuff it's phenomenal what he did again totally self-taught so nice yeah well thank you for your time you're I know you're extremely busy with a lot going on at the network yeah a lot of stuff going on so I appreciate it you're welcome I really hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please share it with your community on Facebook Instagram Twitter or Snapchat and write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.